host everyone welcome to the charvak podcast this is your host kushal mehra my guest today is smita prakash smita is the editor news at asian news international ani she's also the india correspondent for channel news asia a singapore based podcaster uh Smita has had a long career from NPR News America, NHK Japan. You can also remember Smita from Ghumta Aina on ZTV or Newsmakers at DD. She was also the host on the show this week in India, which was the longest running show on television in South Africa. Smita, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me over Kushal. Just a small correction. I am no longer uh working for Channel News Asia. I was doing it for the longest possible time and that stopped about 3 4 years ago. Oh, all right. So I'm I'm sorry about that because I, I when I did my research it was up on your bio on the yeah. on the website. So I was like I'll yeah, just all go with the website now. Still, yeah, yeah, my stories are still up there. Uh they haven't taken them down and they haven't said the former correspondent. So they're still up on the internet. <laughs> All right, all right. So, so Smita, let's start with this. You've had a long journey, as you know. Uh, I just read on the bio. So, so if I was to ask you, let's say in the two decades that have that have spanned till now, what was the one fundamental change, if if you would say that you have observed in the media landscape itself in the last two decades? Let's work with that first. Yeah. So when I started off. Uh... you know in journalism uh the only outlet which was available of uh, in private as far as television is concerned uh there was no outlet there was only doordarshan which was state owned and the only private uh, participation in that was that we could make documentaries or we could make news spots uh for doordarshan otherwise it was like you make your documentaries and they get aired uh, outside of india so uh, it was a very limited kind of a way of working so uh, there wasn't much happening as far as television news was concerned uh, that all changed with narsimha rao opening it up and uh, or rather it was rajiv gandhi actually you know uh, uh, he opened it up for private broadcasters uh, soon there were private channels which opened up uh and then it was like uh it started off with z uh it started my first foray into private news as such is you know with business plus uh that was uh, they used to come out with these vhs cassettes just like news track uh so i used to do something called uh, this week in india so that's how i kind of learned how to uh, edit videos of news and put it together and anchor as such uh but that was very restricted just to an indian audience um uh, that was uh in the early 90s i would say 1890 uh and then uh you know exposure to foreign media is what kind of changed my outlook and uh when these private channels came up it was then that you know there was this huge uh influx of journalists who came in from the print into television and it was it was a very vibrant period to work and the way we did journalism changed it was like quick quick otherwise any information that you needed you needed to go to the press information bureau sit there meet with government officers and you know how the government is they're very uh, they're very cagey about giving you information so getting information getting data was extremely difficult and then google opened up everything initially i still remember that when we um when we installed uh, you know google in our computers in the office 
we didn't give it out to uh, trainee journals. We didn't give it out to the young journalists out there because we just felt you're not going to be working hard enough. You're not going to go on the ground and get the information. You won't go and meet people. All you'll do is Google. It was a bad word in journalism initially. Uh, I mean, it just goes to show how short-sighted we were, you know, uh, not realizing that information, you, you as a journalist have to, uh, figure out that what is right, what is wrong. There's a lot of information available. So, uh, that kind of changed journalism hell of a lot, uh, when, um, when information was available on the internet. Also, we could send out our news stories faster. That was, otherwise it was such a task. Um, you know, initially when I was working in, uh, for a South African channel, uh, we didn't even have, um, uh, diplomatic relations with uh, South Africa in those days. Uh, but uh, officially, we didn't. Uh, unofficially, there was trade going on. South Africans were coming to India. Um, I still had a passport which said not valid uh, for South Africa uh, in those days. And uh, anyway, so uh, when I started working for them, what uh, South Africa wanted was that they wanted uh, similar to what I was doing for Business Plus, uh, which is news from India, because people there did not know much about news. All they knew about India was what Hollywood, uh, sorry, Bollywood was putting out. So they used to actually think that, you know, people wear saris with the heavy jewelry and, uh, you know, romance in India was running around trees and that kind of thing. And when they used to visit India, the, you're talking about two generations of or three generations of South Africans, middle class, who had not been to India, who didn't know much about India. So when they would land here and they'd see these broad roads and they'd see our airport and they'd, all those things, it was like shocking to them. So this, there was this hunger to know more about India. So again, that changed, you know, when I started doing news for international broadcasters. And that's why uh, at ANI, uh, we all those who worked with us in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s had a lot of exposure to telling the India story to foreigners. Have I deviated, Kusha? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. See, that's the thing about podcasts. We don't need to. We don't need to bother about where it goes and how it goes. But look, so look, good. You brought it to A and I. Now, A and I works in a very different way, right? It's not your not your standard. Uh, if I was to say, let's say, if you're an 18 to 25 year old who's raised in this culture, this culture of corporatized media, where there are big media houses, there are big news channels. So, so an 18 to 20 year old would have literally grown up with with a very normal life where NDTV is normal. Let's say Times Now is normal, and just I'm just giving names as an example of media houses. In such a time, you have A and I working, and so so. I, I don't know if I was if the right word would be like the business model of it or the survivability of it because at the end of the day the bottom line matters right it's it's not like uh, you know we are running a charitable organization it, it, these things have to feed themselves there are people's lives at stake because their 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 houses run on it so they depend on it so how does ANI manage to survive in such a competitive environment today where everybody I mean. Uh, is going on TV and there are like 16 heads at times on TV and, and in such a model, how does ANI manage it then? So we don't have 16 heads simply because we don't do debates. And uh, as a news agency, we didn't have a model to work with because there was no television news agency when we started out. Uh, and um, it's a series of coincidences and uh, the way the Indian economy moved and we morphed, we changed uh, 
as per the needs of our uh, subscribers. So when we started out, we had just two channels and both were based in America. Uh, so we were providing news from India to uh, America. Uh, so we started off in 1988, if I'm not mistaken, as a news agency, 88 or 89, I'm not exactly sure. So we, we would sling together uh, news stories and um, put them in a, a VHS tape. Uh, and uh, not VHS, sorry, it was a Umatic tape. It was a Umatic tape and uh, we'd send it to America. In America, we had a correspondent uh, because see, the print service was separate. The print service was also on because there were newspapers, private newspapers, but for television, uh, so we would send it to America. In America, it had to be converted to the NTSC format because we are not on the NTSC format. India is not. So it was converted onto the NTSC format and then sent to our clients. So news from India took about a week to get aired uh, in, in America. That's how we Damn. started. Then, yeah. So then private channels uh, opened up. And then, of course, once we started doing that with America, then UK opened up and then Australia wanted it and then South Africa wanted it. So wherever uh, there would be Indian community, they wanted news from India. And they didn't want just Bollywood because Bollywood was coming any which way from Bombay. They wanted, and they didn't even want much of business news because there wasn't much happening, right? Our economy hadn't opened up. So there was hardly any business news happening. And uh, so uh, they, they really wanted, you know, news as such. Uh, what was happening with the Congress party, what was happening in Punjab, what was happening in Kashmir. So, um, so we would cover all this uh, for foreign channels. And once we did that, we had a kind of a model going um, for for international channels. BBC came in, NBC, CBS, NPR, everybody wanted news from India. Uh, especially, I think what happened was uh, when uh, Rajiv Gandhi got assassinated, that was one of the stories. When he got assassinated, there was this plethora of uh, channels from, uh, from America, from the UK, from Germany, um, Scandinavian countries, they all landed up out here and everybody thought that riots would break out on the streets of India just like they did in 1984 when Indira Gandhi was assassinated. Um, so when they all came in here and uh, I was working like, you know, like like a glorified fixer for all these guys, taking them around and, you know, like, and I could see that they were actually like, oh my God, we've spent so much and come to this country and there's nothing happening. Everything is in control. There was this disappointment which was so palpable that India hasn't gone to pieces. And then I realized there's something changing in the India story, the way it's being told, because um, I think it wasn't fitting in into a narrative which they wanted and it was easy to do those stories. It's not as if they were biased so much. It was like, you know, when you're, you're already, when you're a reporter and you go to a particular country, you hunt for those stories because you think your viewers are looking for that. So the easy or the lazy way of doing journalism is to just pander to that uh, preset notion that people have about India. It wasn't happening. So those things started changing. So we started doing news uh, for international channels. And it, it was they were waking up to the fact that their things were changing. We got a lot of support from our international uh, partners, Reuters, who said that, yes, you need to you need to up your coverage from India because there is a, a growing need for um, news to be told to us or given to us from by Indians 
uh, from India. So we didn't play a voiceover, but we had a script which we would give our clients, international clients, via Reuters, to, and it went to about 120 countries by, um, by I think, 1991. Then when private channels opened up, we just replicated that for uh, private channels. We started doing that. But see, it's not it's not as if you create a huge... Uh, it's, when you talk about valuation, I'm not going into numbers, but it's not mm-hmm. like a new NDTV or it's not like a Times Now or it's not like a, a, a you know, if, if any of, if Times of India is to sell its uh, TV properties, it would go into several millions. ANI is not like that. It's not, we don't have that kind of, we're not talking about that kind of scale. We still are a news agency. And uh, at least so far, I mean, so long as I'm the editor, we still, on economies of scale, we are not that large. See, that that's the bit that I was interested in hearing from you because in today's market, especially now, and now that social media has come into the play, right? Even social media has become a model. I mean, I'm on social media if 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 i was to say and everybody's trying to enter this market so it's, it's just a very interesting thing that you know there is something like ani like in the case of let's say pti right pti is backed by uh, a lot a lot by the state too in that sense but ani is completely independent and does its own thing so i found it very fascinating now let's segue into two things so first i want to talk about so the social media phenomenon where do you think social media is heading and how much do you think mainstream journalism because nowadays if you look at the numbers there are some youtube the folks on youtube that are doing some serious numbers when it comes to reporting too so where do you think is the next generation of news coming do you think the mainstream media is too big and you know the kind of infrastructure they have where you know if you want to do reporting you have to go to certain places you can't avoid right and you need that kind of an infrastructure and uh, uh a, a short team of like 10 people of a YouTuber just can't do that. So that that place is always going to be there. But where do you see mainstream journalism in the future in that sense? See, um, lots of people, you're right, Kushal, that, you know, everybody uh, I know of who are, who's young is not sitting at 9 p.m. and watching the, the news. They're not sitting during the day and watching news on on any of these big channels. Many of them are getting it through various social media platforms, whether it's podcasts, whether they are YouTube. Of course, YouTube is doing very well. And YouTube channels of many journalists I know who lost their jobs, um, they are doing fabulous work uh, now on uh, YouTube. Uh, You may not agree with their journalism. You may not agree with their reporting. You may not agree with their editorializing of news. But, you know... uh, they're doing good work. That's what I'm trying to say. And everybody's trying to, it's, it's also, you, you pick the news that you want. So you can, you have that choice. And I always feel, I've always felt, you know, having come, having seen that period of state control over everything, I'm always open to, uh, and I'm always willing to say that, um, be very clear on this, that I want as much choice as possible. If I have it in ketchup, I want it in news. But having said that, I'll also say this, that um, it's, you know, there's, there's a cycle to the whole thing. Uh, it's it's a little bit dangerous because YouTube is also, it's not verified content. Anybody can put anything out there. Here we have so many checks and balances when it comes to a news channel, when it comes to uh, a news agency, when a reporter goes out and does that, he knows that his job is in line if he puts out wrong information. He's not, 
he can't be bought as such uh, he can't do uh, he can't do hit journalism he can't do uh, you know extortion whereas all this these malpractices are there on the social media platforms because there's no check and balance you can do anything you can you can criticize like for example uh, i know this is it's happened with uh, with somebody that i know uh, he's a he's a rice exporter and another person uh, you know he says that another uh, competitor went and got a story done on a youtube channel where they showed that his brand of rice had marble chips in it now he came to me and said that you do a story that i don't put marble chips on it and i said i don't want to get involved in this i'm not involved in this unless you uh, you file an fir you file a police complaint about this i i cannot do this so th- these are the kind of dirty tricks that happen in uh, many social media platforms i'm not saying all but what i'm saying is that these kind this kind of extortion uh, that happens in the in in business uh, finds its way into youtube and sometimes even journalists do it you know uh, i've heard of many journalists who do because as a journal you have access you have access to various places to government offices it's misused there's a lot of malpractice which happens but when we are when we are accredited journalists when we are journalists with uh, experience uh and we have checks and balances in what we put out as far as broadcasting is concerned i think there is um there's a value to that i don't i don't know whether that that premium uh is something that people appreciate but it's true that even when you go on social media when you go on twitter to see what is happening if you are going to rely on uh say pakistan what's happening in pakistan you can you get there's so much of disinformation which is available but ultimately before you make up your mind you will go to a geo or you will go to an ary and see whether you know these guys have said yes imran has been uh, thrown out or has been uh, told by the president that you're no longer prime minister you know so you will tend to do that if you're a mature user of social media but not everybody is fair enough i i get it i guess you're right in a way that you know when it comes to social media it it has democratized the discourse but it has also weaponized and uh, made it uh, open to views and, and but that that's part of the trade i guess that that that's something that comes in with the the thing now let's talk about something very specific which i was just going through this report by rsf that french ngo that that conducts the world press freedom index and and i was just looking through it and so india has i think it was 141 or 142 for 2021 the rankings were there if i remember it correctly and i was just going through this entire thing first of all i i have been through their methodology i have went through their questionnaire but they don't say whom they talk to uh, they don't uh, disclose all of that they just say these are our questions so so you can go on their website download their pdf they have their question it, it's a stand and then they have their uh, methodology and then they give their you know calculations how they give points for this how they give points for that but deep down inside i just realized that when these ratings come out you don't know i mean what is their sample size right first of all that i don't know second who are they questioning that's like you know i go into uh a uh, whiskey lovers or, or a single malt lovers group and i ask a single malt lovers group do you guys like bourbon for example right and then the entire single malt lovers group is going to say bourbon sucks and then my entire rating is based on 
look at bourbon bourbon doesn't do anything and that's the entire criteria so what do you make of these press freedom indices in general i'm just using that one as an example but that's just one of them there are many out there there is a so called happiness index apparently and there are many such uh, indices that are out there and i get confused like the first thing anybody who wants to do is you look at their methodology because you want to know okay how do these people come up with it but what do you make of it as someone who's been in this field now for more than two decades how do you look at it when they give give such ratings and rankings to india now i don't pay attention at all to it i mean i've been asked so many times uh because i've worked for foreign uh news broadcasters um but uh, i i just don't believe that i think uh, uh, you know if see for example kushal just finished uttar pradesh election right and what happens we have so many people when they did their reporting they were so wrong in this uttar pradesh election in the earlier uttar pradesh election so many people went wrong and these are like journalists who have 15 years experience on the ground they went on the ground and they came back with mistakes right and why because so many of us who go out on the ground what do we do right even like you're talking about doing this survey i don't if you take the survey paper you have you've been told by the survey agency you need uh, 20 uh, people surveyed from bombay right you'll get if you got 20 and they tell you take 5 in the 18 to 20 age group uh, take uh, out of that uh, take 8 from uh, upper caste uh, and from uh, you know well off families take 6 from uh, from the from dharavi so you know when you pick like that when you pick if you pick an upper caste person who lives in dharavi you'll get a different response you pick a a dalit from south bombay you'll get a different response so these cross fertilizations which happen you'll get different political reactions from these people the same way it happened in uttar pradesh or it happens in delhi you go to khan market you'll get a different reaction you go to west delhi you'll get a different reaction so the survey teams who do these surveys uh, you know fine their methodology might there might be a science to it but when it comes to media freedoms where, where i mean since it's my area of uh work i'll just tell you for honest because i have reported and i've visited many countries i've seen the media over the years there is such freedom in india which we do not appreciate because only those who have you can go and stick your camera anywhere in the city right nobody's going to say anything to you when you can you can just go and put your camera on uh on a street in bombay and take pic videos of people coming and going you think you can do that in in say london no you can't you have to have permission you can't just go and shoot anywhere can you do that in singapore no you can't it will be considered an invasion of privacy so there are so many things that you can you can't say in many countries which in india just because of our numbers i guess uh and because we've had that period of emergency that there is this resistance uh to uh, any kind of state control now having said that there is a lot of criticism it says that the our news channels are sold out that they they peddle the government agenda uh they are uh they are very pro government when it comes to reporting on foreign of foreign office on mea ministry of external affairs uh, they are very uh jingoistic bombastic on national issues 
That's always been the case with television channels. There, as far as the foreign policy is concerned, there's been very, very little criticism ever. It's nothing new. And the second thing is when a news channel turns around and says that uh, the BJP is or the ruling party now is winning in Uttar Pradesh, it's considered, oh, you are biased, you're pro-BJP. Uh, Look what the results show. It showed that, didn't it? So if you come from a mindset which says that I don't like the BJP, so whenever you do a story about the BJP winning somewhere, I don't like you. That's not logical. That's not realistic. So when that happens, you know, for example, say, I might like Manmohan Singh as a person. I felt that he was a good person. He couldn't do much because of the the his inherent personality, which was a non-aggressive personality. So he couldn't take on Mrs. Gandhi and the history of, uh, you know, the Congress party. So whenever I would do a story, it was with this understanding or with this, this caveat that I had my story that he cannot go beyond, even though the second term of Manmohan Singh was his term, was he had delivered the victory. So he could have if he wanted to, but that's not his nature. So he didn't. He did not have the confidence to take on Mrs. Gandhi because those who have taken on Mrs. Gandhi in the past, who were his colleagues, he has seen them suffer. So he did not. He It came too late in life for him to be the rebel. And it was not in his nature. So any story I would do would have that caveat. So now I could be considered a pro Dr. Manmohan Singh or, you know, leaning towards Dr. Manmohan Singh. That's not the case. I knew what I was reporting was what I had seen happening. Same way that when uh, when it was Vajpayee or Advani for prime ministership after the um, uh, after the uh, when that elections were called, and I I wrote that it's it's not right for the BJP. First, India shining, I think, was overdone. I wrote that. Then I when I was reporting, I said that. Uh, you know, to again push as Vajpayee for prime minister, you cannot. He's a popular person, but people can see that he's unwell and that he cannot lead. And at that time, I know that I was called the, the BJP guys turned around and said, you're anti-BJP. How can, one say, how can you, um, how can you, um, you know, say that Vajpayee is not popular in India? But it was not about being popular. He was a very popular person. But people would even vote for a khichdi for an absolute mess. But they could see that it would not be Vajpayee would not be able to complete his term as a prime minister. So you would get an Advani. And Advani, who was so popular during the Rathyatra and during the BJP movement for Ayodhya, was not acceptable to the people as prime minister. The BJP couldn't see that. They did not see that for two elections. That Advani, and this is when Advani has this huge... And I myself think that he's a great guy for the BJP. But everybody has a role to play and he was not prime minister material. Something that even his closest aides, his supporters couldn't see, that the people of India could see. So, you know, what I'm trying to say is that uh, what appears uh, to people and what actually happens is two different things. So if, if the foreign media turns around and starts labeling us and says that you are pro or anti-establishment and every 
and the media in india doesn't have the freedom to report not true we can actually go to any part of the country and stick our cameras on people's faces and nobody stops us other than a containment area true now i'm going to talk about something that uh, obviously i had written to you in the email also but this baffled me and i'll tell you why so obviously you've interviewed the prime minister of india recently now i saw the interview like any normal consumer would and i was okay she's asking questions the prime minister is answering them this is how normal way <laughs> interviews are done but oh my goodness i mean as if the world had exploded oh look at smita prakash she is not asking this question to the prime minister she has not asked that question so and i mean this so let us break down this art of interviewing now i get it i am a podcaster i am more of a conversationalist not an interviewer so i i don't get it but i genuinely want to understand what what were you supposed to do in that interview or what is an interviewer supposed to do is interviewing now like a person who is a heckler in a stand up comedy show who is out there and the comic is at the stage and the heckler is down there and the heckler's job is every time a comic says two lines the heckler says oye kya kar raha hai kind of a thing i mean what is an interviewer supposed to do why why was there so much furore i i i literally went out there look at the questions i i looked at the questions you asked him what else were you supposed to ask him i don't know could you have asked 100 more questions yes you could have definitely but then you have a time slot like i have a fixed time slot where we are going to have conversations i can ask 1000 questions to you but i i'm not going to right i have to squeeze so what do you think what, what did you make of this whole thing and what do you make of what is the job of an interviewer personally see um there are many styles of interviews right uh, i don't have uh, i don't have a uh, um trp issue i don't have a ratings issue so i'm not doing an interview with ratings in mind whereas uh, most channels have that so they have to get that masala element going so it could come in by this aggressive question question answer method uh, because see you know everybody has it's it's for eyeballs right so that's why they all have to fight to retain that so that you don't go for your um, remote control and change the channel so everybody is out there for that so there are different kinds of styles of interviewing people um there are, and as far as my interview style is concerned i have to supply my interview to you know over 200 channels in india and channel 150 130 countries around the world so just remember when i am doing that interview whether it is of a cricketer whether it is of uh, you know a chief minister whether it is of a doctor a prime minister anybody i have to keep that in mind so if i am interviewing an army chief i don't have to just ask him about india china india pakistan i also have to ask him about the south asia sphere so when i'm interviewing the prime minister i have several points that i need to see i cannot just restrict it to uttar pradesh because up elections were on or punjab and five states right i have to ask him about south india too i have more clients ani clients in south india there are more channels in south india so excuse me but i have to provide news for them why would my kerala client you know sit through a 
an interview of the prime minister where he's talking only about uttar pradesh punjab uh, uttarakhand and uh, uh, yeah, sorry uh, himachal and uh, manipur and uh, goa he would talk uh, and punjab he also wants to know about the entire country's uh, information how was our covid fight done he wants to know more about that similarly uh, the the woman sitting in madhya pradesh pradesh wants to know what what after ujwala what after soil card what after indra not indra was mahatma gandhi whatever was so what after that what are the new projects if it's har jal har ghar jal water to every home what beyond that what beyond electricity water and road how is how are roads and ports going to affect me that last mile connectivity where is it going so you know when i do that interview so when i first interviewed modi and i got this backlash i tried explaining then i realized that it's not it's not me that they are going after it is it is you know narendra modi that they are going after they don't like him so anybody interviewing him they go they are angry that they were not picked and he you know i was picked so that was the first time then subsequent uh, election uh, subsequent interviews that i did i realized that i don't need to explain to anybody anymore let them say what they want to as long as because i am not answerable to any of those journalists who are criticizing me i'm not answerable to the social media which is not paying me a single cent i am answerable to my clients if my clients have a problem with the interview and they tell me that listen you didn't ask about these questions if the editor of a particular channel calls me up and say you you didn't do a single question which impacted my state or my viewer why did you do this i understand but till today none of pm modi's interviews which i have done so far have i got that reaction so i get a whole lot of praise from certain quarters but i know where they come from and i get a whole lot of criticism from another quarter and i know where they come from my, i need to answer only to my clients and as far as i am concerned my clients have not complained so far about any of the work that i've done and as far as international clients are concerned every time prime minister modi says anything it's news so that's it yeah but where do you think has that art of calmly interviewing people gone where, where where do you think this whole heckling the person like even from a cultural perspective right humko to hamare culture mein to ye sikhaya gaya tha na ki agar aapke ghar mein koi aaya hai koi mehman aaya hai to aap unka satkar karte hain so when you're interviewing a person even if you disagree with that person now i'm not talking about if you're interviewing some monster or something but right you're just interviewing the prime minister first of all the the position itself uh, you know has some has to be respected at the end of the day secondly matlab karna kya chahna matlab what do people expect like you you're going to go there and every 2 seconds why do you think this has happened is what i'm trying to understand like if i'm here i'm talking to you i want to hear you out right and the, the, the old adage goes right uh, if the person is going to say something they're going to say it and the let the people judge the people have to be the final judge right why do you where did uh, to use the right word where did this narcissism come in interviewers that they thought that they could be everything in this world and they are the be all and end all and this prime minister needs to be shown this place or this chief minister or this mp or mla where did it come from i think it's the uh, it's more to do with television journalists uh because after some time i mean i am a tv journalist too but uh, i am an agency journalist so i 
I step back. So there are many of my uh, interviews, many of my stories, you won't see my face uh, on it, you know, and that's agency journalism for you. We, our egos get crushed very early in life. Um, it's only now after 25 years or whatever that you can see my face uh, on on interviews that I've done in India. But uh, yes, for foreign broadcasters and for foreign channels, my stand-uppers are still there, uh, which can be viewed. But uh, TV, I think, uh, TV journalists get these massive egos. Uh, they actually believe in that that adulation or that star power and after some time it gets into their head so when they go to do the interview of this person they think they're equals or they think that uh, they're equals in a way I mean the other side is also a human being yes but you want it depends on what you go with if you go in because that that masala interview is going to get you ratings and you're going to trip that other person that can work uh, but for an, for me, I need information. So, uh, I mean, you were saying the other the other side is not a dacoit, he's not a thief, he's not, he's a prime minister. But then I've also interviewed people who are murderers sitting in front of me. Now, do I just go after them and say, you are a killer, you're a murderer, you're, what will I get? He's going to clam up, right? He's not going to talk. So how does that help me as far as my... Uh, information is concerned because will a channel play that no they're saying well, what's the point so instead i need to find out what led him uh, to that life of violence why what happens and is he satisfied with his life in the way he's doing so i, I mean i'm talking hypothetical or maybe not i've, I've interviewed haji mastan too so you know what am i what am i getting from that same way as you go to conflict zones uh, you know interviewing a stone pelter interviewing somebody who's you know a jihadi i can turn around and saying why are you doing this why you're anti india you're anti uh, you're pro pakistan and you're living in this country what am i going to get with that i'm not i'm not into ratings i'm not going to beat a republic or beat a times now anchor by doing that i'm not interested they are my clients both are my clients both are my friends so i'm not interested in that so you know i have that luxury but but at the same time kushal not every journalist has that luxury he's told by his editor she's told by the editor go and do this aggressive thing so because unless you're pushed and shoved unless you are thrown out from the room uh, you know, remember that whole Sunanda Pushkar Shashi Tharoor thing. So unless that reporter became hyper aggressive, it wasn't working. It wasn't working for the channels. So the channels were, you know, competing with each other. New channels were coming out. So they needed that drama because then they run that drama on, on loop and they get more eyeballs, more eyeballs, more advertising, more money, more money to spend on news gathering. So it's it's a cycle, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, that's what I guess uh, this will take me to my last question because this is what I wanted to be my last question and you've given me the perfect segue naturally. So if I was to tell you, all right, we are where we are. I, I get the state of affairs. It's it's actually very sad. I mean, nowadays I don't understand. Uh, is is the Twitter hashtag determining what's going to be discussed on, on the mainstream 9 o'clock news or is the mainstream 9 o'clock news determining what's the hashtag on Twitter? I don't know. I think both of them are like an incestuous circle which, which feeds off of each other. But Still, there are there might be people who still believe in old school journalism. There might be people who believe in consuming 
uh, old school kind of content let me tell you since 2018 podcasting in india has taken off which was not existent in india i mean podcasting is a completely different genre altogether which is people have time and they talk and they talk and talk and talk and there is an audience for that too now but if there was this young kid who's coming up in journalism he he looks at you and says smita ji aap bataiye main karu kya where do i go as a person now where do you see indian journalism let's say the coming decade and that will be my last question to you so uh, kushal the uh, look at the number of platforms which are available to journalists i you don't have to do just one kind of journalism when i got into it there was just doordarshan there was no outlet in television there was nothing that you could do you had to you know we had to write a script we have to submit the script that script would get like i would write the script at say 9 o'clock obviously you know it's not breaking news so it would be um, tourism or mushroom cultivation in himachal or some some story like that write the script give the script and remember it had to be faxed thank god for fax at least we had fax the script script gets approved the script comes back then you voice it then you lay the visuals then you send the tape it has the tape has to reach doordarshan by 3 o'clock some you know director level person joint secretary level person will take a look at it is the accent okay that was very important you know in those days accent was very important so you didn't you couldn't have this uh, vernacular accent english so we had only few people who would come and voice over that story for us we had voice over artists who would come and voice over that um, uh, that uh, story uh and after that it would get approved and then uh, once doordarshan approved it then it would get aired by the 9 pm bulletin or else it would get uh, no or 8 pm or it would get aired the next day from that time we have come to today where you can you're doing it on uh, uh, doing a podcast it's on youtube they, you can do your journalism on so many platforms and it's not as if you can't earn money you can earn money you can have a reasonable uh, you know lifestyle with with the money that you earn in journalism but you're not you're not going to make a whole lot of money unless you own a news channel so that's a different league altogether but i think uh, journalism lots of openings now much more than uh, 20 years back awesome that sounds great uh, so i guess uh, you know if you because a lot of young kids listen to this and they always ask me you know i get emails like sir hum social sciences mein ja sakte hain kya i was like look i am not from social sciences background so i'm not going to sit here and answer that that question to you but if you want to you can take it up and uh, and i think <clears throat> Yeah, personal view i think there is now going to be this generation of the uberification of journalism in that sense where so, social sciences if anybody asks you about social sciences yes social sciences kar sakte ho aap but uh, something that we didn't know that would be important is data crunching that's extremely important now in whatever kind of journalism you do so wo zarur karna chahiye ki kisi na kisi tarah koi you know how to read data uh for journalism that is extremely important and for me i had to learn very late in life and i, I hate it even now so i need to ask people to demystify data for me it's very difficult and uh language that's another thing kushal i'm sorry i'm interrupting you uh language is extremely important so if you can pick up language skills you know two or three vernacular languages anything uh, other than just english or hindi that would really be helpful 
Awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that helps. At least in my case, it helps me because I was born and raised in Mumbai in a Gujarati area in a Marathi state and I'm a Punjabi. And then Hindi is anyways known to us because of uh, other languages and you go to an English medium school. So you have five languages in your arsenal and you can do and maneuver a lot around it. And uh, um, that helps a lot. Smita, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. I wish you all the best and I'm looking forward to your next interview with the Prime Minister and let's see what the trolls say this time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you kushal thank you for being here all right guys we'll end today's podcast if you go to the description you can see all the details you'll have smitha's website smitha's twitter handle and the ani details please go and follow them if you like what i do please subscribe to the channel like the video and support the charvak podcast by a membership or on patreon or by buying the merch i'll see you next time until then namaste take care goodbye